Shalom, I'm Adam. And I'm Rose. And welcome to the Jewish Disability Services Together We Make an Impact podcast. Today, we're gonna to be doing a special episode, a tribute episode to Judy Human, the mother of the disability rights movement. For those of you listening who may not know or be familiar with Judy's work, you might realize that you've known a little bit more about her than you were prepared for. Judy is an internationally recognized leader in the disability rights community. She has been instrumental in the development and implementation of legislation such as Section 504, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act or IDEA, the Americans with Disability Act, the Rehabilitation Act, and the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, which has been advancing the inclusion of disabled people in the United States and around the world and fighting to end discrimination against all of those with disabilities. We're taking a moment today, Rose and I, to really reflect on the life and legacy of Judy Human, who tragically passed away this month of March in 2023. I want to give a quote from Judy's memoir, um, Being Human, an unrepentant memoir of a disability rights advocate, uh, activist. And she said, some people say that what I did changed the world, but really I simply refused to accept what I was told about who I could be. And I was willing to make a fuss about it. Rose, I'd love to get your thoughts, feelings, reactions to who Judy was, her legacy and, and, and what she meant to you. Thank you, Adam. I was privileged to meet Judy a handful of times, and after her unexpected passing this past weekend, I put together some thoughts, and I figured let's start there and get to that more emotional side before we start looking at all the great tangibles she left behind to support her memory. Losing Judy Human feels so big to me. She was a hero and a pioneer in the disability rights movement, often referred to as the movement's mother. Personally, this loss hits deeply, as culturally and geographically, I feel that Judy and I are cut from the same cloth. Aside from both being of the Jewish faith, Judy was born in Philadelphia, the city I affiliated with since my childhood where my mother was born, my father works, and my bubby still lives. She also grew up in South Brooklyn, where my grandparents were raised and where I now work and live. As an occupational therapist, I have patients that remember reading about Judy in the newspaper as she was fighting for her right to become a teacher. I also have former practitioners that remember referring disabled children to Camp Jeanette, where Judy thrived and became a leader. I was blessed to have met her twice in person and once virtually. The first time I met her, she spoke following a dinner at the Eagleton Institute, and I cried in the front row watching footage of the Capitol crawl. During the pandemic, I got to hear her speak to a class where she praised the value of camp and community, something I relate to dearly as a fellow Jew who attended both day camps and overnight camps. Finally, the last time I got to see her was in November when I got to travel to DC and see her interviewed by my colleague for healthaffairs.org. While at that filming, the young videography assistant brought a mobility aid given to them by their friend for Judy to sign. I am so grateful that Judy got the sort of recognition and fandom in her lifetime that she so dearly deserves. I'm glad she got to be celebrated while she could see it. I'm heartbroken that she's gone. And while we know that people with disabilities have shorter lifespans than their non-disabled peers, I have to say I didn't see this coming so soon. I'm grateful that I can see the impact of her legacy every day as I work in Brighton Beach and Sheepshead Bay and as I work on my other disability-focused projects. I pray that her legacy grows as it lives on and that the lessons she taught us are not forgotten. When it comes to Judy, I have no doubt that her memory will be a blessing. 
her life was a blessing and she will most certainly be missed. So that is some insight. Rose, that was beautiful. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Rose, um, a question that we've been asking many of our guests, I, I would like to actually ask you, and I feel like it's a very perfect segue from what you just shared. And I think I know the answer already, but what motivates you to to stay involved in the work you do um, and to champion rights for the disabled community? Funnily enough, and we didn't discuss this before, um, but I was reflecting on this yesterday because in all of my OT school interviews, I always say that being able to grow up in a school system, both public school and religious school that was focused on inclusion is what shaped me to see disability differently. And the truth of the matter is, is our school systems would not be inclusive of people with disabilities if it were not for Judy and the work that she did on IDEA. And in that way, I really feel that her legacy has shaped me to see the world as I see it today and has indirectly shaped the mindset of so many healthcare practitioners and special education providers because they're people and they belong alongside us. Amen. I, I do think that she's really helped a whole generation of individuals to to see their full potential for a community around them to to understand um, and, and to really destigmatize uh, what disabilities are. Absolutely. And I think one thing that I want to shed a light on is how much things that people with disabilities have done have paved the way for our lives to be easier. Like, for example, in with the ADA, it has made curve, curb cuts available to all of us. And think about how many times that we're rolling a suitcase or a stroller, mm. or we need to go into a building and use the automatic openers to get in there. That is all because of the work that Judy has put forth into the world and the rest of the disability community. And I really hope that we can all walk away from this episode and all the other wonderful tributes and see the impact of her life more clearly. I agree, Rose. And you know, something that I think has always resonated with me is like w when we really think about the work she's done, um, it is mind boggling to me, you know, that uh, in the 60s and the 70s that, you know, she had parents that advocated for her, that helped her find her voice for then her as a disabled American to say, this is what our community, our society needs, and this is how people should be treated. And so for someone from the disabled community to really champion these causes um, and, and to, to really have a voice um, larger than anybody else, to truly be internationally recognized um, for the work she's done is truly rewarding as someone who sits here today with you talking about what we can do to make a difference um, and to kind of continue breathing life right in, into the work that she has so actively done. Yes, and I think there's a couple things that I wanna point out is that her national acclaim to this level of fandom didn't really start, I would say, until around 2017, 2018. Um, one of my favorite things to point to is her Drunk History episode where Ali Stroker plays her. Um, that came out the day after that I was lucky enough to have dinner with Judy and I highly recommend anyone watch it. It is safe for kids, but I would watch it beforehand if they're under 12, just to make sure you feel comfortable. And that whole thing that you mentioned, Adam, about her parents, her parents advocating for her came from a deeply Jewish place. Mm -hmm. You know, her parents saw what happened to people with disabilities in the Holocaust. And when people came to her parents and asked to send her to an institution, they knew that nothing good was going to come from it. 
And because of their experience as Jews, they found the strength to put their foot down and find a different way when there was no other way that other people had pursued before. Such a great perspective on that, Rose. You had mentioned in in your reflection about camp and community, um, and and I think that's such a big piece and part of who we are as a local South Jersey community, um, knowing that um, our camp system, JCC Camps in Metford, has their Open Hearts, Open Doors program, which has been flourishing going, I think, on three decades at this point. Um, I recall when I was an advocate at camp um, and still to this day um, have a really special relationship with the camper that, that I worked with as they were getting ready to go to kindergarten and now have graduated college as a playwright. Um, so it's it's really exciting for, for me to think about the legacy in which it means to have inclusion in all aspects of our life. Absolutely. And I think that really speaks to the role that we as our community play in shaping the world and shaping the way people see disabilities. You know, the fact that we have all these people, because a lot of people who go to JCC camps are not Jewish, but they see that inclusion. And they're going to start seeing that and asking, why isn't that in other places of the world? How can we help to increase that? Mm. And I think it's really beautiful that our community has that, that we can share with, share with everyone else. Yeah, and, I, and I, I think it's wonderful to be a model for, for the entire community as well. Absolutely. I'm getting flashbacks when I worked at JCC camps as both a lifeguard and an advocate and thinking of some of the OHOD campers, Open Hearts, Open Doors, during Color War, getting really into getting all dressed up. Um, it's really nice being able to see people thrive in community life like that. That's such a rare and beautiful experience. Yeah, and you know, so Rose, um, knowing that we both had such a transformative experience there. Um, for, for our listeners who are not aware, Open Hearts, Open Doors is a inclusive part of JCC Camps at Medford. Um, and it's an inclusion camp for campers with disabilities um, for ages 5 to 13. And this allows people with a variety of different disabilities to be fully included throughout the camp experience. Um, and I think it really speaks, as you've been saying, to who we are as a Jewish people. You know, something that we were that you had mentioned as well more than once, Rose, was as I think how Judith has helped the community at large see disabilities in a different way. And and I want to mention a few other things that that Judith has been a part of to maybe help put the framework for others around, uh, you know, the legacy that she is leaving behind. And so not only was she instrumental, right, in creating um you know, these basic civil rights, including the Section 504 and the IDA Act, uh, the ADA. Um, but she also helped found the Berkeley Center for Independent Living, uh, the Independent Living Movement, and the World Institute on Disability. Um, she served on the boards of the American Association of People with Disabilities, the Disability Rights Education and Defense Fund, Humanity and Inclusion, the Human Rights Watch, the United States International Council on Disability, Save the Children, and there are many more. For people who are not fully aware, and I know that you had mentioned um, that 2017 date, uh, in 1993, uh, Judith moved to Washington and she was working as the Assistant Secretary of the Office of Special Education and Rehabilitation Services under President Clinton. And she also worked in that role through 2001, later joining the World Bank as an advisor on disability and development. And under Barack Obama, um, she served as a special advisor for international disability rights in the U.S. State Department. So she was quite a busy woman. Yes, and that doesn't include the wonders that she's done for people with disabilities when it comes to transportation. 
She has worked very hard to try to make it easier for people with disabilities to fly on planes. And in her memoir, Being Human, an unrepentant memoir of a disability rights activist, she recounts when she was actually arrested because she wasn't flying with a companion, even though there was nowhere in the law that said that you need to have a companion if you're someone with a disability to fly. So she was truly, to bring back a word from our first episode, a powerhouse. I think I want to turn the tide of the conversation just a little bit and read a small segment from her book. This part of the book, it talks about when she was participating and starting the 504 sit-in. This was to support Section 504 of the Rehab Act. And during the protest, they ended up having 125 people with disabilities camping out in the office for I, what I believe ended up being a total of 26 days. And that is covered in the drug history segment. So I recommend watching it. Okay. The Black Panthers brought us food every night for the rest of the protest. In the evening news, the press came out. One TV news show reported, they're tired, they're grubby, they're uncomfortable, but their spirits are soaring. The sit-in in San Francisco Hugh headquarters is now in its third day. 125 disabled and handicapped are pledging they'll continue to sit in through tomorrow night, if not longer. The squeeze is on though. Hot water has been turned off on the fourth floor where the occupation army of cripples has taken over. That night, a group of the protesters and I lit a candle and held a Shabbat dinner in the freight elevator. One of the reasons that I really wanted to highlight that section is I think it beautifully demonstrates the value of working with people of all different types of backgrounds, while also tapping into your own roots to find strength in challenging situations and bring about meaningful change. And I really hope that in the future, you know, of our society, we find more moments of collaboration like that for worthy issues. Rose, it was, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, it reminds me of a quote that I saw from, from Judith. Um, in a paper that she authored from the Ford Foundation called Roadmap for Inclusion, Changing the Face of Disability in Media. Um, and for those who are not aware, Judith was also involved with the Ford Foundation here as a senior fellow. And in this uh, paper, she had this beautiful quote that uh, I think speaks directly to what you just shared. And she said, it is no longer acceptable to not have women at the table. It's no longer acceptable to not have people of color at the table but no one thinks to see if the table is accessible. And, and I think that that just really brings all of it you just shared back home again. Yeah, it's a beautiful statement. She was a wonderful thinker, and I'm grateful that we were able to record so many of her thoughts and her writings and her interviews so that we have time to reflect. If you're interested in seeing more beyond the book and drunk history in these papers, Health Affairs put out an interview. I believe it came out in October or November. And then, of course, Crip Camp, which was funded or produced by the Obamas, which was nominated for an Academy Award. I highly recommend it. It's just, it's wonderful. Yes. And for those looking for more information, um, you know, Judith also had the Human Perspective podcast, um, as well as a variety of other resources on her own website, which is judithhuman.com, uh, which I would make sure everybody rushes to, to see all the things that they can um, that are all Judith-centric. Also, I just want to put it out there. I am wearing my Judith Human t-shirt. Um, it is one of my favorite things to wear around and people ask me about it. A lot of my advocate friends, we have matching ones and sometimes we wear them together. So if you want to join the cause, I'm sure her family is 
thinking about how they want her trust to be focused towards meaningful projects. So I highly recommend throwing some money out there, spread the word about who she is and start some good conversations. I love it. You know, and, and Rose, I think, um, you know, one of the other questions that we have been asking many of our guests has been, where do we hope to see the disability rights movement in the next five or 10 years? And and while there is such a somber moment here in the passing of Judith, I, I'm trying to stay optimistic and, and thinking, how many more advocates will we have fighting for disability rights now um, that we're bringing a much larger attention to her life and her legacy and to see how many people are just truly inspired by the work she's done and the life she's led. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what our disability community looks like with the next round of advocates. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited for that as well. And I think the more that we look at the challenges we're facing locally and nationally and globally, the more lessons we have to learn from what Judith left behind. Particularly last night as I was reflecting, I see a lot of parallels between the struggle to get 504 signed and put into law and everyone patiently but frustratingly waiting for progress to be made on workability. And I hope that maybe we can take some lessons from Judy's struggle, to help find a way to bring this at, bring this change about so that we can really have this true equality that we deserve. Yeah, and I, I feel like I've been um, doing Judith's human quotes now this whole podcast, but I want to share one more <laughs> based upon what you just shared with us is that um, you know, Judith said, change never happens at the pace we think it should. It happens over years of people joining together, strategizing, sharing, and pulling all the levers they possibly can. Gradually, excruciatingly slowly, things start to happen. And then suddenly, seemingly out of the blue, something will tip. And, and I feel like we are truly at that tipping point. Amen. And I love that it's just like, you're right, it's this marathon. It's not a sprint. And I'm glad that, you know, we're taking time for all that self-care that we've talked about in these other episodes to really help bring that about because you can't cross the finish line with a broken ankle. No, you cannot. And, and I think this also speaks to, to the Jewish values we've been, we've been referencing throughout this episode and throughout our season, you know, from, from generation to generation, the door of a door, for, for us to be able to see the path that Judith has paved for so many to now pick up that torch and continue on for the next generation, um, slowly but surely we'll be in a space where the world is fully accessible. I love that. And I think that ties in beautifully to what I hope is, you know, a, a least immediate takeaway for our listeners is that if there's something that you want to do to pay homage to Judy, I strongly recommend finding the things that are accessible in your world, be it curb cuts or door openers or your IEP plan or IEP teams and just Spend some time being grateful for that, those hard-fought victories from the generations before us. And hopefully the relief that we find from their efforts can help fuel us to make even greater changes for the generations that follow. From your lips to God's ears, Rose. Thank you all for listening to our special episode honoring the life of Judy Human. In the next two weeks, we will be back with our regularly scheduled programming, and we're really looking forward to bringing you our content. Yes, we are, Rose. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening to the Jewish Disability Services Together We Make an Impact podcast. We hope you continue to follow our conversations. And until next time, this episode of JDS Together We Make an Impact was made possible by our sponsor, the Jewish Community Foundation. We thank you for your commitment to making an impact in the disability community.